0: Hey, now, welcome to the inaugural Q&A podcast for Make Defense Great Again. My name is Chris Vassar, a.k.a. Coach Vass. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to getting into this. Unfortunately, my friend Adam Gaylor, who was supposed to join us, had something come up at the last minute. So I will be flying solo with you today as we go through your questions. Before we get started, I want to kind of give you the lay of the land. What will happen is is I will record on Thursday nights by myself or with a guest. We will answer your questions, and then we will release this on Saturday morning so you can listen to it while you game plan over the weekend, and if you hear something you like, something that stimulates the brain, you can implement it so you're not getting it on a Wednesday trying to cram in your game plan. We're going to keep the answers short and tight. We don't want to run too long because we know your time is valuable in the season, So we're going to cut out any fluff and just get right down to it. And lastly, before we start our weekly housekeeping notes, so to speak, make sure you follow me at Coach Vass, that's at C-O-A-C-H-V's and Victor A-S-S, and the podcast account at M-D-G-A podcast. Also, you can find more information about me and the podcast on my website, www.coachvass.com. Now that we've laid the groundwork, let's go ahead and get right into it. Let's get into it, man. The first question comes from Jay Price, his defensive coordinator. His Twitter handle is at Manasquan underscore FB. His question is, how do you categorize your call sheet? So, this is an interesting question. It kind of changes week to week. I have started in the last couple of years of approaching the, and really it's been about six, seven years of approaching the personnel group as a whole. So, before we get into any down to distance stuff, we create, I create three columns that are base calls, zone blitzes, and man blitzes. And they could be, Three deep zone blitzes, two trap, whatever. Man blitz could be rushing forward and playing man free. It could be bringing seven. It doesn't matter. And so I kind of just put everything together in a game plan. And then I'll add a fourth column as the week goes for pass calls. Basically, when when I think they're going to pass the ball. Second long, third long, two minute, whatever. And I'll I'll have some exotic pressures, so to speak, and some other things. And we kind of group that as a whole. And that's really how I categorize the call sheet. I used to do and I still I still do the statistics for it, but we do P and 10. So I so I group first and ten, second one to six together. And then from there I split it off. So I have P and 10, which is the first play in a series, first and ten, second one to two, second three to six. I found over the years by just looking at things on my own and speaking with other coordinators that a lot of the first and ten, second one to six player plays so, rather are the same and again all of this is without red zone without four minute without two minute without the scribinis in you know we're always stripping all that stuff out so i have that i have a second seven to nine and a second ten plus call i'll have a short yardage column a three and uh, third and three to five a third and six to ten and a third and eleven plus we'll have some fourth down stuff in there and then red zone goal line two minute calls things like that and I found that every year that I coach, I end up relying on the call sheet less and kind of just trusting my eyes. Um, I don't ever look at the call sheet during the game unless I'm trying to find something. uh, I'm trying to match up a call with what our wristband is. So I stopped putting a lot of stock into it. And I've gotten to the point with experience and time where I've kind of memorized our wristband And I'm able to call it without really looking at anything, unless it's a a crazy game where you've got five, six, seven personnel groups. I'm not really looking at that thing. So I hope that answers your question. One thing I will say and encourage you guys is uh, first and 10. um, One of the big things that I do is I check to see whether it's run pass after a run after a pass after an explosive run and after an explosive pass, as well as a penalty so I look at that and then second and 10 plus, same deal. What do they do after a run? What do they do after a pass? What do they do after a penalty? Uh, when I was in the Bay Area, we played a team that was 50-50 on second long. But if you broke them down, they were 80% pass after a run and 80% run after a pass. And then I think their penalty was like 100% pass. So it was a little, I guess, a little higher than if it was like 53% pass, something like that. Well, that's a crucial element to the study. So those are some things that I would take a look at. But right now on, I, and I, people have asked me for the call sheets. Um I, I did a thing with Ron Mackey not too long ago where I had it as part of a thing to purchase, but we don't, the, the call sheet is more of an organizational tool just to get my thoughts down on paper. And in the process of writing the things down, I memorize it, but I'm never really looking at that thing. It's, it's more of a, Organizational tool, putting it all down on. Um, sorry about that. <laughs> uh, it's uh, just putting it down on paper um, is good enough for me. The second question comes from Martin DeSoto, defensive coordinator, and his question is different ways to stop power read. I think the first thing when you're when you're defending power read is you have to decide who you want to keep the ball. Uh, I've kind of gone back and forth on this, depending on how good uh, the team is running stretch or sweep. Depends, is it also, is it out of empty or is it two back where there's a guy in the gun and then they're jet motioning and creating two backs. But I like to have a couple different ways of playing. I like to have a way where you're coming off the edge, you're attacking the mesh to, to play inside on the quarterback, let him hand the ball off. And obviously your secondary support has to be in a place where they can, you they know that you're forcing the ball wide. I also have a, a, a call that I like that sends the end up field one, two, three um, to get the quarterback to pull it and then fold back underneath. And then I think one of the most effective things versus power read is what I call, and it's not something I came up with, but it's, uh, it's kind of a, let's say universal, but it's, it's widely known as this is a lion call where you're going to bring the edge rusher up the field and some sort of DB or linebacker underneath. So you get him to pull the ball and then they get a face full of a blitzing safety or linebacker coming on an inside path. They can come right off the tackle who's down blocking on the three technique. This is if you're blitzing at of even front. If you want to blitz out of an on front, you can as well. You can bring the, the five techniques up the field. And this is assuming it's a 10 personnel look. You bring the five techniques up the field. You bring the safeties off the edge. You can bring them to both sides if you want. You can tell the safety away to flatten out as well because you both basically you tell them hey you're going to meet at the quarterback one of those guys is not getting blocked so that's one things that i like those are some of the things rather that i like to do to stop power read and also you're setting the team you know it's hard without having film or seeing a specific team is do they have back tells? again are they is it is it one back where the back is running the sweep is it empty and they're jet motioning one guy is it shotgun and they're motioning one back motioning a receiver in the backfield so those are some things to consider i think all of the especially the edge pressure stuff is good versus all of those versions of uh, stop and power read because at the end of the day if they have two backs in the backfield now you're bringing another linebacker in the box out of four man spacing so nothing really changes the third question is from Dalton Franks who coaches inside linebackers his Twitter's at Dalton D Franks. How do you go about putting together a pressure package at the risk of sounding like a shill? I just did a uh, uh, clinic presentation with Ron Mackey. That's available. If you go through my timeline on Twitter, you'll be able to find a way if you want to purchase the video. I mean, I'll, I'll hit some of the main points and some of these questions I'm going to try to, I'm trying to answer everybody. So it's going to be more quick hits rather than a deep dive, but when I'm putting together a pressure, a pressure package, I used to study the protections and, you know, try to figure out a way to to beat them. But r- really now I've started trying to dictate the tempo and saying, OK, well, we're going to get into certain looks that forces them in the protections that we want. And from there. Study the linemen and their pass sets. So, you know, one thing that I talk about in the video is getting into doubles, th- if you're four down, get into double threes. Double fives walking the Mike up in a zero to get them to big on big protection. If you're a three down team walking both backers above the guards, now they're going to have to they're going to have to check man protection protection. They're going to be in trouble. So w- what I'll do is I'll have a generic kind of game plan to say, OK, we're going to line up in this. If they do this, we will do this. It's kind of like if then. Uh, one thing that people like to do is like to bring both backers up in the A gaps, not as much a fan anymore of that because we see so much 10 personnel and still has its place. But I think when you walk both guys up, it's hard to drop out, especially in four man spacing, three man spacing. It's fine. But out of a four down where you have double threes, double a gap backers, I think 10 gives it some problems, but then having a response. Okay. If they're going to stay in there, if they're a half slide team and they're going to stay in their half slide. Okay. This is what our next move is. If they're going to full slide it, well, then this is what our next move is. And just kind of having an answer, because when you get those unique looks, you're going to get certain responses. People aren't going to have three different ways to block. Well, and and I shouldn't say they won't, but I wouldn't expect a team to have three different ways to block double a gap pressure showing or showing double a gap pressure rather. So having answers, basically just having an answer sheet, almost like a, a wing T offense or a. Air raid offense, where you're saying, okay, if they do this, we do this. So, but but setting the tone, and then the coverage, choosing the coverage is all based on their routes, and we split everything front to back, and we we split our defense in half, vertically and horizontally. So our our front six work together, and our back five work together, and then we have a read side and a wayside, so we can easily mix and match coverages with different patterns. Uh, and then we'll look for the weakest offensive lineman, try to get a one on one or. If I see a guy that's opening the gate real wide, we'll go back to the lion concept I just talked about with Power Reed. Bring the end up field, get him to turn his shoulders, occupy the guard, and bring a guy right, right inside on the quarterback right now. That's a, that's one of my favorite things to do. And then there, it's really just diving down in the team. Who's the weak? Who's the weak link on the O line? Can the back block? The back can't block. Trying to get one on ones. And we played a team last year that we played a couple teams where their backs were huge, 220, 230, and they were big guys. They're actually pretty good protectors. And our linebackers, you know, um, weren't always great at rushing. And, I, you know, I take responsibility for that for not working on it as much. But but on the other hand, the right guard might not be as good. So how do where do we get our one-on-one? How do we get our best player on their worst player, get the one-on-one matchup, and if they overset, you know, if they're overset you can tr- walk up double threes, double fives, walk up the mic and do something as simple as, you know, take one of the three techniques that's quick, put them on. If they got a slow guy, put them, uh, put them there and just have them jab up, feel one step and ripping the egg out. So that's really just kind of the, the 30,000 foot view of how I do it. If you want more answers, there's the presentation I, I was talking about. Also, there's some call sheets and some things in there and practice plans, installs. The like calls are blank, but I put kind of the concepts that we we do. So um, you can check that out if you want more of a deeper answer on that. The next question is from my friend Waldo Carden, defensive coordinator in Alabama. His Twitter handle is at Bama Waldo. His question is, on average, how many pressures and blitzes do you take into a game? Um, uh, we're very different. We run the TCU system, the language system. Where we can really do just about anything that we want, we teach the entire language in the off season and we mix and match. So I will say this: unless you're doing that sort of defense, I would not recommend to do what we do because you're going to have to rely on memorization more. There's good and bad to it. Versus tempo teams, a little harder on some of the calls. More of our exotic stuff is on third down, where teams usually aren't going fast unless it's third and short. We're not running that anyway, so. Uh, in terms of really uh, how met, I, it's hard to quantify, I mean, we we carry the same we carry the same wristband and we'll tweak it here and there a little bit. But we have 20 backer blitzes on average, 10 zone blitzes, 10 or 11 blitzes. We got a backer and a safety off the same side, uh, 10 to 12 blitzes, what we call smokes, which are safeties could be one. It could be two and it could be a switch to a backer. And then we have a Clovis category that's kind of like our calls of the week. We can, our kids can run every single one of those calls. It doesn't mean everybody's going to be 100% right. And it's not, a, it's not perfect, but we have the ability to really run about 75% of that stuff at any given time. And the reason that we carry all that stuff is to stop the bleeding. It's not, I don't go into a game planning on, okay, we're going to run all this stuff. But my first game in this defense, the team was wearing us out in the boundary. And we ran a backer and a safety from the same side off to the boundary to stop the bleeding. And, and we hadn't practiced that call since early in camp, but we, we knew it and we could operate it. And so we carry a lot of things in. The second part of the question is, will you run those against all their top formations during the week? No, we're going to pick pressures based on personnel groups. If we're seeing a team that runs a lot of different formations out of one personnel group, we will pick things that are covered the most amount of ground and they're the easiest to adjust. If we're playing a 10 personnel team and we know we're going to get two by two and three by one, well, then we might do more stuff because we know the adjustments will be easy. So that's kind of the seesaw of, you know, how much do you want to take into a game? But we, we, everything we do is based on personnel. So, um, I was about to reveal something for this week's game <laughs> and this is going to come out before we play. Um, let's just say if we're playing a team that is 12 personnel, we're going to practice those pressures that we would only call versus 12. And if they come out and I make a mistake and make a 12 call versus they're in 10, then I'm going to check out of it. I'm not going to try to make everything adjust. That's just not where that's not where I want to be at. So, you know, each personnel group to me really only has two to three formations, 11 personnel. You get twins to one side, a pro side to the other. You get some a lot of people call trey so tight end receiver receiver with one receiver the other side and then you'll get nub with trips to the other side those are the main formations obviously you can do more 10 personnel two by two and three by one you can always obviously go empty and an 11 team can line up in 10 looks and and, and again if it's a teams doing that that's when you have to be a little bit more vanilla or check the blitz okay here's what we're going to do if there's a tight end in the game here's what we're going to do if it's four open and we'll do a lot of that stuff too where we'll say okay we're going to blitz the split inside, but if they give us four open, we're coming from the field or whatever. That's just an example. 12 personnel, you're going to get one receiver to each side balanced. You're going to get with double tights. You're going to get double tights, one tight end each side with the receivers on the same side. And then you'll get tight end wing to one side and twins. Again, there's more things you can do, you know, with the double tights and the receivers on the same side. The one of the tight ends could be off and the receive one of the receivers could be on. I mean, there's there's a lot of different, but I'm just talking counting one, two, three from outside in, in terms of receivers. And so we have 12 personnel blitzes we like. We have 21 personnel blitzes we like. We have 11, we have 10, we have 20, we have 30, empty, three back. We have different things that we like versus different looks. And I'm not afraid to get out of something. I'd rather get out of a blitz if I don't like the look than try to make one blitz adjust to everything, especially if I don't even really like it anyway. My next question is from Brett Rhodes, D-line coach. His Twitter handle is at B Rhodes nine. That's B R H O D E S nine. And if you have an answer that either you think would supplement mine or is better than mine, or you think I'm full of it, you can reach out to these guys and say, Hey, I heard you on the pod. Uh, I, you know, coach fastest and what he's talking about, or I love what he said. And, um, you know, here's what we do. You know, I want to kind of make this a community thing. You know hashtag MDGA Pod if you want so we can get you know a little community we're gonna try to build a community but all in the same place we're not going to a website and having to log in you know everybody's on twitter so just kind of want to build a community that can help each other so we can combat these communist offensive coaches anyway brett's question was when practice playing during the game week do you prefer to organize it based on down and distance schemes or schemes from opponents a mix we're a little different in practice We're going to do two team periods on Monday. It's going to be their number one personnel group and their number two personnel group. And again, this depends on the percentage that they're running something. If they're running 10 personnel, 90 percent of the time and they have a short yardage package. uh, And in a third group that they barely run, that's just in there just to run a couple plays. Then we'll run, you know, both personnel groups or both periods on Mondays will be personnel groups. When we are going team, quote unquote team, where we have the offensive players, we are 11 on 11 at all times. If we want to do run fits or, um, you know, seven on seven, we self scout that. And I just I believe if I got the offense for 30 minutes a day or 20 minutes a day on the first day, I'm going to use them. Then what ends up happening is the second day of practice, we're going to do three team periods. Usually what happens is a review of the first day. Um, base calls, it is the number one personnel group versus the blitzes is a second, uh, period. And then the third period is either their second or third personnel group. So if a team's like 40, 40, 20, then we'll do personnel one on Monday and then personnel two on Monday. And then we'll do kind of the first period will be a mix of the two for the first period. It'll be a mix of the two with pressures in the second period. And then we'll use their number three personnel group. If they have predominant one group, so we see an air raid team, they're 10 personnel. We're running 10 personnel period one and two on Monday. We're doing the same thing for the second day. We're doing review of 10 base calls, 10 blitz calls. And then the the third period might be their secondary group if they even have one. And that's where kind of the art of coaching comes in is what do you want to do? and so we'll take 3 10-minute team periods on twos. and again this is this is just average you know we'll do certain things or option or double wing and whatever but just standard offenses and then Wednesday then we get into situations cuz really going back to the earlier in the podcast i'm trying to i take a holistic approach of game planning our calls unless it is a flat out pass only situation our base call should cover everything I don't start looking at down and distance until Tuesday night. Uh, scientifically, and I kind of got to feel like I'm watching the plays like you should know what's on third down without looking at a chart just from watching the game. But then on, um, you know, Tuesday nights, I'll really look at the down and distance and situations, because when I found when I factored those in too early, what happened was I had all these weird calls like, oh, I had this really great second and 10 plus call and it. I call it boutique game planning. where We have all these like specialty calls for specialty situations and it's, there's no cohesiveness to it. And so I like to be able to control the entire personnel group minus the obvious pass. And then on the flip side, the obvious rundowns like, okay, it's fourth and goal from the one you're getting three backs and two tight ends. Okay. Well, there's really no first intent equivalent of that, for, you know, for this mythical team I'm talking about. So, uh, so then Wednesday, um Wednesday we do two 15 minute period so I do a 10 minutes of red zone five minutes of goal line with a two-point play if available in the first 15 and then the second 15 is third third down which starts with third and one to two three to five six to ten eleven and it goes just you know it, it progressively gets longer the distances get longer and then Thursday I talked about this before uh we do a play the game script where the um Assistants come up with a script and I don't know what's coming and I have to call the game like I'm like I'm doing it on a. Uh, on, a on a Friday night, so it's not my first time when we get in these situations it's like, oh, what do I want to call? And it might be one of the single best things I've done. After I came back to high school football in 2012, after uh, doing a year at JC and a year four year college. Uh, T- we, we did it at Millsaps College. It's from TCU. It's called they call it Purple Ball. The next question is from Granville Taylor, it's a retired coach. Uh his question was, how do you defend unbalanced formations? His Twitter handle is at buddy buddy number two. So it's sorry, it's at buddy buddy two, the number two. Uh that depends on what they do out of it. And if there's one or two backs, is it tackle over? Generically speaking, in a game, this is again, this is a global question. Um, so I'm gonna give a kind of a global answer, but if it's two backs. We're going to have a way to, to adjust with the line. So we we treat the guard as the center. And then we have a way to adjust with the backers. And then if it's one back, we'll probably, I, I would say, adjust with the secondary for the most part. Not really going to overshift to a one back set. But, and that's, again, that's just, generically speaking, because we're mostly an even front team. If I was an odd front team, I might have a little bit of a different personality or 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 way of doing that. And I think if you find you ask odd front coaches and even front coaches, they adjust unbalanced differently than what I found. Um, and then the other third thing we'll do is actually we have four things. So we, we slide it over with the line. We slide it over with the backers or the secondary. The third thing that we do is we line up normally and we try to give the rat the cheese and we slant. And then the fourth thing is we'll blitz it. And we try to carry if they're an unbalanced team, We'll try to carry all four of those. If they're an unbalanced package, we'll have the thing that we like the most. We'll carry that in the game and maybe one change up. And why I don't have a universal answer is because I used a universal answer against a team in the Bay Area when I was there. Uh, For example, their favorite play was strong side lead. Well, our two base fronts during that time period were an overfront, you know, uh, four two five over front and the bear well in both of those defenses you have one of your best players in the three technique at the strong side well that's where they want to run the ball so they get an unbalance to get you and we i i admitted i did it we would slide over one guy and now the weak or er, the strong side b gap excuse me is open and now they got the play they wanted so we basically did what they wanted us to do well, my dumbass ass realized that. And then the next year when we played them, we had the ability to slide the line over, but we adjusted with the linebackers. And then sometimes in kind of the fifth category is we'll create a special front. It's funny. The same team we're talking about, we played in the first year. They gave us problems and unbalanced that whole offseason. Every college coach that came in to recruit our school, I'd ask. Which was, you know, effective in, on the West Coast being in the Pac-12. Stanford was doing all that stuff and the school that we were where I'm talking about was a big I think they were influenced a little bit by that. I'm not I don't know that for certain, but and I had like 12 different answers (laughs) to combat unbalanced. And uh, I was freaking out on that Sunday. I was drawing stuff up and I couldn't figure something out. And I snapped and I had one of my assistants pull up a hit chart and I said, where do they run the ball? And he said, "Okay, they're going to run it here. They're going to run it here. They're going to run it here. And so I just drew an old school triangle. You thought I was drawing defenses up in the 50s, like X's, literally X's and O's and triangles. And I came up with a front. I'm like, okay, we're just going to put our best guys in those three spots and like created like a weird. We like lined up in double threes and then walked the safety up to the strong side and then walked the weak side backer over the center and then brought the weak side. It was crazy front. But it was actually the best thing we did, and it was, you know, Occam's razor. It's the one thing I learned in college was Occam's razor. The simplest explanation is usually the best, and that's what we did. We put our best guys in the spots they wanted to run the ball. What a concept, right? And that stopped the bleeding. So that's kind of some thoughts on Unbalanced. My next question is from Kevin Matthews, who coaches linebackers. His Twitter handle is at kmatfootball. That's K-M-A-T-T football. His question is, in your base 4-2, what are your linebacker reads versus one-back formations? Uh, that depends where they line up. So we're usually a split safety team. We run some one-high coverages. Uh, if it's one linebacker in the box and he's in the A-gap, we're going to read the center and the guard to the back. If we have a 30-tech, we're going to read the guard tackle bubble to near back because that is our uh, base reads and two-backs. So we try to keep it simple. And if you're more if you want more information on that, I did a podcast with Pat Fox two weeks ago and we talked about his linebacker reads because those are the ones I use. They're fantastic. I highly recommend checking them out. His videos are floating around there somewhere. Uh, I think it's it might be an eight nine man box run tape or something, but we still we try to use those as much as possible. And then obviously it's hard to see the guard tackle bubble when you're lined up in the A. So we try to get him to read the guard. The center, um, and then the opposite guard in that window to the back. Now, that's out of our four down stuff. Oh well, then that's what you asked about, so I won't get into all the other odd stuff and things that we do. But that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to see both guards if we're an A-gap backer in the back, and we're still playing downhill. Uh, some people are doing this tempo the back thing, and I, I think it has its merits. I think there's a little too much gray area for me, so. For my liking as a coach, especially with linebacker play and how I like to play, because I think you can tempo the back and you can hang back and do all that stuff when you're in one back. But if you play that way against two backs, you're in trouble and we play some downhill run teams. So I'd rather play more downhill and compensate in other ways than float. And then we go see a two back team and they're running lead and power at us. And we're kind of like hanging back, waiting for things to happen. That's that's not a winning business model my next question is from isaac malm he's the dc and dbs coach in sweden this question's a long, so bear with me guys he coaches a small team in sweden he has 16 players on game day and he majors in one hole cover zero and cover three week rotation spot drop as a change up from a 4252 two high defense he said during the fall he's going to play teams that line up in 10 personnel trips open where they primarily either pass to the trip side verticals or screens or run to the single side. Zone read, power read, and speed option. All reading the weak side end. Our base would be to rotate the free safety the trip side and have the weak safety play the post, but he doesn't feel comfortable doing that. What ideas do you have to combat that? Well, I honestly think that... Uh, I, I think that that that's not a bad idea. I think in today's RPO game... That's one of the best ways to play if you want to chase the dive to the field is getting what I call three buzz. Um, If you don't feel comfortable in that, I mean, really in trips, uh, you know, you're going to have to do something to steal a gap somewhere. If you're going to play too high, your weak safety, and it's kind of a math. It's like a math equation almost like, okay, if you're going to sit to the field, your weak safety is going to have to get in the run game. Now, if you're going to chase the dive to the field. You're going to have to play some three buzz. I would mix it up. I would. First of all, I would turn it into a guessing game because if you just sit in one thing, you're going to get either going to run you over. So what I would do is is I would have a split safety answer, whether that's, you know, roll cover three with like a trap corner, the the stubby special stump stealer world where you're you're locking one or you're playing one on the China call and and you're nickel's got two vertical and your deep safety's got three vertical and you're playing games on the backside and then i would get into some some of that uh three buzz stuff or some man i mean really it ends up playing very similar man free i will say that if you're going to rotate strong i would set the front opposite so i would set the three technique in the boundary which makes you a little thicker if you're worried about that And, and and each thing has its its own kind of you know, problems and issues. And so I think you just need to pick a couple of things that you like and rotate them through so nobody can get a beat on you. You know, if you're going to play a split safety look and you're going to have your linebacker who's walked out of the fit, like I said, you're going to have to spike your end in the boundary or you're going to have to get your weak safety in that run fit. Um, if you're going to play a, a cloud corner of the boundary, I would recommend doing some of the Alabama Jimmy Pony stuff. But then I have a way to blitz it. Bring the guy from the field, drop the safety down on, the two, enforce the, or on number three, enforce the issue if you're getting trips. um, Play man free uh, three buzz. If you play three buzz, it's great. Um, I'm not a huge cover three guy. We've messed around with it. I like man free better out of that stuff because it ends up playing the same way a lot of the times. So and you don't get those holes. I'd rather I don't know. That's just me. I don't like people completing passes and open windows. That's not the philosophy of defense I was raised on. And, and, and believe me, there's merit to it. A lot of guys who won a lot of games doing that. It's just not something that that's not the way I'm going to solve a problem. I also think one thing that a lot of people don't do is blitz from the boundary. Bring your corner. Don't be afraid to do that. So give that man free look. And then at the last second, have your weak safety that's in the middle of the field. Buzz back to the X. Take your uh, free safety who's rotated down in the trip. Send him back play your special or your minis or stubby whatever you call it and bring the corner slant the front of the field so in summary i would say have four different things you're gonna have put your three to the field play split safeties mess around with the boundary stick in the end bringing the safety down rotate strong put your front into the boundary and then after each of those looks have some sort of blitz so and and you could blitz from the field with the front of the boundary as well but I would have a way in split safety to blitz from the field. I would have a way to make it look like one hind come from the boundary. And I think if you mix up those four calls, you should be able to take away anything you are going to see. And then some part of, some part of it's going to be rock, paper, scissors. And that's kind of how I like to, to game plan is, OK, I'm going to do a couple things. And I've said this before, but I'd rather do something, you know, three things at 70, 80 percent efficiency than one thing at 90 percent efficiency, because it doesn't matter how good you are at something. If you know what's going to happen, you have a shot. At Sarah, when we um, coached together with the offensive coordinator, John Bosco is my best friend, Stephen Lowe. We played some very good teams along the way that did very simple things, and we still took advantage of it because we used their rules against them. And anytime you can get the offense on their heels, you're winning. So I'd mix those concepts up. Also, I want to make sure I give some love to Isaac. His Twitter handle is at Isaac. That's I S I I hope I'm saying this right. It's I S a K underscore a underscore M a L M. I think that's mom. uh, Our friend from Sweden. He coaches. He's the defensive coordinator. He coaches DBs. Welcome uh, Isaac. I think I've seen you on Twitter before. I think we've interacted actually a few times. Our next question is from Brian Hillman. He's a defensive coordinator. And his question is, what are some techniques, calls, and blitzes that you've used to stop jet sweep, jet read, and 3 by one I'm sorry, from 3 by one and empty? Um, I really enjoy blitzing from the field and spilling. I'm playing cover 2 trap to the field. That's something that we've lived on for many, many years. Um, I started doing this mainly because we had run the TCU stuff and it was um, their White Stinger 5 jam package that's become infamous and that was a way that they played it and what we started doing is we started blitzing that guy in a spill path and then if, if it was jet motion we'd trap the corner only on jet motion and he would go and what would end up happening is the blitzing safety if we switched to the linebacker the overhang had to chase him flat i'm sorry not the overhang the number two receiver would have to chase the guy down inside flat if he didn't he was going to make a tfl and so what happened is let's just say you know it's three by one. Um, you know Jet read from three by one. So I, I'm not sure if you're running it weak or trying to have to guess here a little bit. But let's even say it was empty. Let's say it was three by two. You switch the blitz to the backer. You're running empty. You have the front set to the field. They're slanting in the boundary. You get the jet motion. The backer who's walked out on three is coming on a spill path. So the number three receiver is gonna have to block him. So the number three receiver has to come down and try to block him. Well, now the guy who's inside of two sees three go flat. Now I go flat. And now if I go flat, then two has to block flat down the line of scrimmage. And I, I've, we've done this, and it's been successful. And then with the jet motion, the corner traps inside. So now he's going to the ball, and the only way that the, the number one receiver can get him is blocking flat down the line of scrimmage. So what you're seeing is, is a halves corner that's supposed to be over the top of three guys. All three of his verticals are going flat down the line of scrimmage to try to pick up these these guys are either blitzing or reading blocks and he can add outside of all of it. And so that has been one of my favorite calls. In fact, my first play ever calling this version of the defense. I was at uh, St. Francis High School and funny enough, uh, we were playing a team Oak Grove and we ran this concept. They were a fly sweep team first play of the game they handed the ball off to cheeto bay who plays for the dallas cowboys and i think we had like a two or three yard tfl and and that concept has just always been good to us so spill from the edge play two trap to the field because when we used to box things you know you're still coming off the edge but it, it you know if you're forcing the ball if you're a quarters team and you're playing outside leverage at number two yeah, you're blitzing and you're going faster, but you're still fitting the same way. So I think you need to have a way to box it and a way to spill it and change the fit, so they can't tee off on you and say, "Okay, well this guy's going to box," and so we're going to block it this way. Thanks so much for the question, Brian. If you want to follow Brian on Twitter, it's at Brian Hill four zero. That's at b r i a n h i l l four zero. My next question is from Mike Martin, who coaches outside linebackers. He can be found on Twitter at MSMartin0208. And his question is, week one, we play a 10 personnel team that is motioning 70 to 80% of the snaps we have on film. Some fly sweep, often just window dressing. We primarily play zero and man free. When traveling with motion, do you guys go in front or behind the backers? We're always behind the backers. We never want to go in front of the backers ever. And so we basically tell our guys to mimic their path as the back. So you're starting to go and then he'll bubble around if it's jet. And if it's under center, it's even more pronounced. And you just kind of match that going behind. Now in our cover zero and cover one stuff, what's going to end up happening for us is we have different rules for different guys if they motion. So for example, If we have a player that is used to playing middle of the field coverage. We'll spin it or rock and roll or whatever you want to call. So, for example, let's say it's two by two. The weak safety who plays a lot of times on the roof, uh, his guy motions. He will spin back to the middle of the field. The free safety will come down. Now, if it's our nickel and they're motioning into the boundary, or if it's middle of the field, and the nickel guy, the nickels man motions, we will not spin it because he's not used to playing deep. Now, if your guy does that and you have a true three spoke secondary, or uh, I guess be five spoke secondary, wherever you want to call it, where you're, either one of those three guys can all play deep, then then by all means do that. And in the in the true four two five, that was kind of the original idea. We do not do that. Our nickel does not play. Um. In the in in the deep middle, we have a, a couple of crazy blitzes where he plays the field side half and will blitz from the boundary rote super rotator, whatever you want to call it. But by and large, he he's not playing deep. So with his guy motions, he locks on it. In cover zero, our base rules do the same thing. Your guy goes, you can go. I'm not a big bump guy. And man, because my mentor, Keith Burns, used to call out the buddy system. Somebody's always open, and it always made me laugh and also think. So I've just kind of been trained out of that. But to answer your question directly, we are going behind the linebackers 100% of the time. And actually, I know this is not the question you asked. But when we were at Millsaps, we used to play uh, what's called flip coverage. Which in, uh, or fl- we call call flip or flip over, where let's say it's I-twins. Let's say it's offset. And I know this is going back, but... Let's talk about nub sets. So, you got trips to one side, nub to the other. You got twins to one side, two backs, nub to the other. Any kind of time, even now where you get twins and you get tight end wing to the other side, any time where corners over and you have a nub, we will run with it, even in zone. So, we'll play every once in a while, we'll play corners over palms where the outside corner is playing the vertical technique, jumping to the flat and the inside corners, what a, what a safety usually would play, which is vertical of two, if two goes out, I play over the top of one. If that inside guy or if the outside guy is on the ball and, and one of those guys jet motions, we will run the guy over because he's never going to be accounted in the blocking scheme. And our theory is that the corners are there because they can run. We know they can run. We tell our kids this all the time, like, we know you can run. That's not, that's not a problem. If you're, if you're playing this position, you're here because you can run. So you just mirror him and nobody's going to come pick you up. I like that because, again, like you said, for your question specifically, you said window dressing. Well, don't let the offense one guy motions and you bump you bumping backers. And, and, and again, there's a time and a place now. if you're playing zone, then you then you and a lot of coverages. If you're not nub, that's what you got to do. But, you know, even if it's what I call pro twins, tight end Z to one side, twins to the other, that Z motions to the twin side and it creates nub trips. Run that guy over there because, you know, they're moving one guy, move one guy. And I know that sounds overly simplistic, but I mean, I'm not going to let an offense move one guy and we're going to move five. That's just because now you're inviting the window dressings. If a team is doing window dressings, I'll be honest with you, and I could be wrong on this, but it is my opinion. If a team is doing window dressings and you don't honor the window dressings, they're going to stop doing it. Nobody's gonna unless they're just practicing for the next opponent. If they're trying to get you to move and you don't move, they're not gonna keep doing it. They're just gonna line up in the formation that they want to get in and play it from there, in my opinion. So, and and again, I could be wrong. You could play a stubborn team that, you know, either they think they're better than you or they think they're worse than you, and they're worried about their next game, or they just it's their modus operandi and like. Matt Kenyatta is going to motion no matter what you do, but unless they're really, 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 really committed to motioning, if you don't honor, if you're not doing what they want you to do, or you're creating a cloudy picture, you know, part of the beauty of today's spread offense is I'll tell you, we don't like to motion because we like to go fast and we want to take a picture, you know, especially like some option guys, you know, you want that, you want to see that picture, so and it all depends on what kind of team it is. I mean, jet sweep teams, if you're saying they're a jet team, um, obviously that's kind of important to the motion. The motion is important to the offense rather, but you know, I, I would move them the least amount of pieces possible. I know that wasn't your exact question, but just kind of pontificating a little bit. My next question is from Eric Firestone who coaches, uh, he's linebackers and defensive coordinator. His Twitter handle is at coach underscore firestone. Just like the tires. Um, His question is, is there a former packet using game planning? You know, that's a really good question. I used to have this really long uh, packet of like things to look for. And I found that I went so slow going through it that I didn't really let the film talk to me. I was looking for things rather than letting the film tell me what was going on. Um, I've I've had a chance to uh, spend some time with Tosh Lapoy when he was at Alabama and Washington. He's now at the Cleveland Browns. But when I visited him in Washington, he said something profound to me back in 2013. As he said, let the film talk to you. What is the film trying to tell you? And I felt that when I went through a checklist, I was looking for things rather than observing. I don't know if that makes sense. And I might be full of crap, but. That's how I felt. And I felt it was it was tedious instead of letting the film breathe and kind of seeing what was going on. I was like. Looking for things that weren't always there and, you know, sometimes it doesn't fit like you can have all this different stuff about who's the best pass protector, who's the worst pass protector, blah, 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 which I had. But if they're a wing T team, you don't care about that stuff. So you kind of let the offense dictate what to look for. Now, in terms of game planning and a, a sort of checklist, we will have a checklist in terms of down and distance and things we want to look for. But in terms of, you know, studying pass pro, we kind of just watch and then kind of feel it out from there. And I think that comes with experience. When I was younger, I appreciated checklists more. And and, and as I'm answering this question and telling you why I don't use checklists, I'm actually kind of interested to maybe maybe going back at the beginning of the year would be helpful to review that. Um. Just to refresh your brain, I will tell you guys if you're looking for something, if you're looking for a checklist. It's been a while since I've looked for something like this, but I'm gonna give a, a free plug to my man Kenny Ratledge, who coaches in I don't know how to say it, severe, severe Tennessee. He has a book called Developing a Defensive Game Plan, and it's not exactly like a A to Z checklist like you can print off and look at, but it it makes you think about everything, and so. We look at everything that everybody else looks at, down and distance, hash tendencies, uh, if they're running the ball to the fielder boundary, if, are they running it to tight end split end, that sort of thing. But we don't really have a, a checklist. Maybe I some I need to get back to or at least something informal to kind of just make sure you covered your basis. But just with experience and doing it for so long, I haven't needed to use one. But if you're a younger guy, it may not be such a bad idea. Also, go buy Kenny's book. The last question from the week comes from Josh Hackett, who's the D.C. and linebackers coach. His Twitter handle is at jhackett Hackett 14. That's two T's at the end. So that's J-H-A-C-K-E-T-T-1-4. And his question is defending red and blue sets. How are you aligning? And what type of defense and coverage are you playing? And how are you defending belly? So this is an interesting question. We are a 4-2 team. We're going to retain our 4-2 shape versus these sort of things. We don't have a universal, and and this is kind of hard. And this is kind of my, 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 uh, what's the way I want to say this? My kind of my wish for you guys is if you're going to send in a question, if you want a 30,000 foot global answer, then ask a vague question or, and, or not vague sounds like judgmental, but, uh, um, uh, and I'm not saying this for Josh. This is actually a very specific question, but in and some of the other questions I got, I did a Q&A a while ago. It's like, how do you defend trips? If you ask a, a general question, you're going to get a general answer. If you want a specific answer, ask a specific question. And, and the more information that you can give me, the better answer I can give you and drill down. Now, again, this is my that's my weekly PSA. Josh, that is not for you. Your question's great. But. Without knowing what their counters are in some of the things, if I'm going to know a team, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to play an overfront and I'm going to figure out what side they want to run the ball to more. And I'm going to play Robert of that side, Robert coverage, G defense, Robert coverage. And I'm going to play man to the other side. And when they motion, then it will become Robert of the side that they motion and then zone like a cover three or a sky inverted halves away from it. Um. I will say that if we are getting so most of the time, people want to run to the tight end wing side as we'll set the coverage over there. But once the wing to the tight end motions by rule, we're going to slant the front back to the split end side. So we're going to try and get that G to a three and slant the three to a G. That idea came from the late Bruce Cobbley rest in peace. What a hell of a ball coach that guy was, but we would do something like that so we're always trying to get our three technique to where they're running the ball if they're running some sort of scheme where they're creating a crease in between the end where the where the they're, they're blocking down on the wing and kicking out with the fullback or, and they're going to you know go with second man or something like that or if they're just running the fullback through we may try and get if they're if they're running off tackle and you know people run belly different ways and I know you know generically I'm guessing you're saying Some sort of belly look where the wings going to lead up through the fullbacks going to get the ball and then the guy motioning behind is going to give a pitch look. If but you know we would just play it straight and the free safety has to be the extra guy. So once he's staring at the tight end and through his tight end he's going to see the wing motion back then he's going to snap his eyes to the other wing and then he needs to get in the run fit. But if you're getting some sort of uh, belly second man or something where they're trying to down block the end with the wing or the slot, lead the fullback and hand it to the guy coming back around, we might try to get the safety on the line of scrimmage and try to get that free safety over to try to spill it all the way outside. You could do some things like that. That would be the place we would start. If we weren't able to defend it that way, we might try to run some sort of split inside pressure um but it's you know with the one back looking red and blue it kind of limits some of the things that you can do so you got to be careful if i did want to blitz from the split inside and i was seeing a red and blue team i would much rather blitz the inside linebacker to that side and again shout out to my man pat fox has got some great stuff on this he has a video out on defending the wing t that's it's probably about 10 years old now but it's man it's stood the test of time and every time we see a wing T team. We'll throw that on or something similar to that. We'll throw that on or, and watch it because it's just fantastic. But that's uh, something that you could check out for more information on that. But he'll do a lot of things where he'll blitz that inside linebacker. Because once you blitz the safety off the edge or your outside linebacker, whatever you want to call him, you can get outflanked. So having some sort of when that when that strong side wing motions back to the split inside, having either slant the front. You know, spike the end in the b and loop the backer outside and so you still have your safety there. You can do a lot of different things like that. you know obviously you want to be able to play it straight, but I think just slanting the line back regardless is a good strategy versus the wing T because if you get tackle trap back to you, you're slanting into it and then if you're getting trapped the same way, which i don't, I don't think you're gonna to get to a one, you know if they are anticipating you slanting out to a three, maybe they could run it, but you can always redirect and ricochet back because I'm stepping play side and I see my, I'm the G and I start to rip outside the guard and I see him veer block. I can stick my foot in the ground, plant off my outside foot and come back inside, which I didn't think was possible. And I thought it was crazy and was afraid to do that stuff at first, but it actually helps our kids because instead of going upfield and then trying to bend inside, you're already stepping lateral. So it's, I'm stepping to my right, I'm stepping back to my left. So those are some generic ideas there, how to stop that sort of stuff. Thank you so much for joining us in our first episode of the Q&A format. I'm really looking forward to building a community on Twitter where coaches can come and share ideas in season. I really feel like there's a lot of resources for the offensive side of the ball, but not a lot out there for defensive coaches during this time of year when you need real-time answers. So I'm hoping with this podcast and building a little mini-community We can get a group of people together where we can have that marketplace of ideas, share stories, share answers, things that have worked, things that haven't worked. And to that end, make sure that you follow me at Coach Vass on Twitter and follow the show at MDGA podcast. Also, really, I encourage you to take advantage of the official show thread. So when I announce, hey, episode six is now out. Go ahead and respond in there and and, and throw out some of your ideas. Uh, You can even tag me in it. Respond to some of these coaches that have written these questions and give your flavor spin on it. And last but not least, as always, remember, the quarterback can't see with tears in his eyes.